What up, Danny? Hey, what's up, Tyler? Shit, not much. Just, like, almost not starting the show because I can't stop looking at fucking Godzilla posters. Well, for good reason, man. They are fucking dope. So, we'll talk about the fact that I went and saw Godzilla here in a second, but even if you have no plans on going and seeing the latest Godzilla movie, go check out the fucking posters. Dude, that Chinese Godzilla poster is so fucking cool. And then we saw the Comic-Con one, so fucking dope, too. And there are some other really good ones, but those are the two that stand out to me. Yeah, I think those two are probably the best in the lot. But, I mean, the rest are pretty nice as well. God, yeah, fucking great shit. My biggest news for the week is that I went and saw Godzilla. Nice. And, I mean, we've talked about it in the past. Like, we both really dig on big monsters, but big monsters were some of my, like, first forays into, like, horror, since it is a horror genre. When was the last time of, I mean, The Host? Yeah. And even that's not really horror. That's almost social commentary. Like, most of the time, big monsters aren't played for, like, horror anymore. Right, Cloverfield? Right. Yeah, I suppose. But you're right. They don't have the traditional, like, scary monster feel. Maybe even Troll Hunter is more social commentary, too. Yeah. They're played more for the spectacle rather than the actual horror, although there's horror in being in that big of a disaster situation. So, I mean, whatever. But I loved it. Still too much humans, but it's not like the last one where there was only, what, like eight minutes of the G-Man or whatever? (laughs) Like, there's a lot of fucking monster in this. It's just, you still are just like, yeah, fuck the humans, whatever. (laughs) Understandable. And, I mean, their story wasn't the worst. There's a lot worse that it could have been, but it was kind of just like, clunkily getting them along from this place to this place and i kind of wish they would have had even less agency than they had but there were some fucking neat moments whatever the fucking monsters though goddamn king Ghidorah, goddamn mothra rodan godzilla nice. a couple others sila female muto nice. i think they were calling them behemoth was the other one and then i i can't remember the other one got named or not in the movie there's like 17 of them they reveal. Oh, fuck, it's nuts. Wow, yeah. that's pretty nice, man. Yeah, the trailer way back when when we watched it looked really nice, so it's just a matter of time. I might go check it out tomorrow, perhaps. We'll see. Oh, and really, just quick spoilers, so skip ahead like 10 seconds if you don't <laughs> want to hear this, but three, two, one, sets up for Mecha King Ghidorah in the post credit sequence, Hell yeah. which is even more dope and i mean once you destroy mecha king Ghidorah, is when you get like mecha godzilla and all that good shit so yeah at least i mean if they sort of keep true to like old form right i mean at least it leaves the door open and that's the other thing like they're definitely i mean it's not like they're doing their completely their own thing they're definitely paying attention to the old lore and just finding ways to work it all together rather than being like, look, here's another gigantic dinosaur-based thing or another giant insect-based thing since that's... Or another robot, which is kind of what all of them were, except for, like, I don't know, fucking King Caesar and shit. So, (laughs) yeah, I fucking dug it. I guess that's my little mini-review. It's still not the greatest of all time. I kind of expected it to make me cry, kind of like Pacific Rim actually did the first time I saw it in the theater. It didn't get there, but it got really close, like, two times. And I have been listening to the soundtrack, like, all week, because Bear McCreary killed it and found some interesting and fun ways to, like, work in some of the old themes and shit, and it was really neat, so. Awesome, dude. That's good to hear. For my personal little stuff, man, I haven't really been up to a whole lot. Another quiet week. Mostly just watched a few movies, so 
watched, of course, the film that we're reviewing today. Watched. It's not really a spoiler because it's been out for a while, but it does have a sequel. So I watched its sequel. I watched the Jodorowsky film, which is really oh, good too. I watched right. Santa Sangre. Highly recommend that one. It's really cool. So yeah, just mostly hanging out, like just watching some films. That's about it. Oh, I know some news. A new episode of Jafar just came out yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So you're hearing this like a week really in the future. News. So it's been out for a while now. So, I mean, you're already late to the fucking party hearing <laughs> this. But if you're tired of just listening to mine and Danny's voices, you can go see our beautiful, beautiful faces. And the little web series, Just a Friendly Reminder, over on the YouTubes from For the Right Price Productions... You're going to want to type in just a friendly reminder, because if you type in Jafar, oh, which yeah, is what we always just fucking videos. call it, you're going to get a lot of Arab videos. So just a friendly reminder, you'll find us teaching <laughs> you a little bit about the grocery world. Right, exactly. And eventually, like, joining cults and going on vision quests. Yeah, we have lots of visions. It might still all be part of a dream. Who's to say? I don't want to give too much away, but... We might have a scene coming up somewhat inspired in our heads, at least, by a movie we've covered. Oh, yeah. So, so that's maybe a couple scenes inspired by movies I mean, we've covered, so. actually. Yeah. I know that we've talked about it a lot, so we'll see what happens. And this last one was a fucking trip. Yeah, literally and figuratively speaking, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of fun. So that's the people that you are here listening to anyway, me and Danny. Go check out our other project. Just yeah. a friendly reminder on YouTube. Thank you. Yeah, and the nice thing, too, is we've had a lot of our friends who are involved with Jafar on our podcast as well, so you also get to tie the faces with them as well. That's right. Patrick's been on the show. Riley's been on the show. Alex has been on the show. Well, at least four of them, right? Justin, Patrick, Oh, Riley, Justin's been on the show. Alex, yeah. That's right. Justin's been on the show, what, like Several twice times now? now? Yeah, yeah, at least twice. Yeah. Event Horizon and came over Pet, Pet Cemetery. Cemetery. Yeah, so that was fun. So yeah, like I said, it'd be a nice way to tie some and of those Redditary? voices back. Yeah, yeah, he did for a little bit, which is neat. Yeah, so three times. Wow. <laughs> you I, go, Justin. He just always has to leave early. He does. He's he's one of those guys that goes to bed pretty early. So he's been on three episodes, but I count him as being in like one and three quarter episodes. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was a lot of fun yesterday, man. So our latest episode is up. Aside from my little personal bit of news... And you know, like I said, our stuff with Jafar, man, I did come across a couple of different horror bits of news that are a little bit more pertinent to the podcast itself. But I did read some news concerning a, it was a fan-made film entitled Never Hike Alone. So the cool thing about that is that it is a part of the Friday the 13th kind of universe, I suppose. But what they've done is, is now they have the guy who played Tommy Jarvis and Jason Lives, which is part six, which is okay. arguably my favorite one out of the series, is that he has teamed up and he's going to be part of their sequels. So some of this is interesting, too, because we've talked about the lawsuit that's going with Sean. It's Cunningham and mm-hmm. you know some of the other people involved. But you for, know, I still don't know all that. We've uh, looked it up like, like three so times murky. and I still don't know the details on that bullshit. <laughs> yeah, so there was a tweet that happened over the weekend. And the tweet is in reference, of course, Never Hike Alone. Long story short... It says, to hell with the lawsuit, who's ready for the Friday the 13th showdown of the century? And with that, it's a ghost Jason versus Tommy Jarvis. So what they're wanting to do is, I guess, is extend that part of the franchise out and include a Tommy Jarvis, actually, who played in it. Yeah, Tom Matthews was also part of some of the Night of the Living Dead films in the 80s, which are pretty decent as well. So, yeah, pretty excited, you know, be one worth checking out if nothing else. 
so earlier this week, did you see the uh, Bruce Campbell Mortal Kombat news? I didn't. I didn't read any. Okay, so I, I just want to bring it up just because we've talked about this a couple times on the show already. New Mortal Kombat's out, which I still need to buy, and I feel really bad that I haven't yet as such a big fan of the series. However, that's not the story. Right before it came out, supposedly a list of the DLC characters that are going to be coming out got leaked. Ash Williams was one of those characters. However, then Bruce Campbell came out saying, no, I'm sorry, you know, Ash isn't going to be in it, yada, yada, yada. Then like a couple weeks later, game came out. It had a couple of issues when it first came out that sort of dominated the news cycle in the gaming for its like first week out, but I think it ironed those out. Ever since then, I've heard nothing but praise. They just dropped the first round of DLC fighters. Ash isn't in there. Okay. I don't know if they dropped them or if they like confirmed who the four are going to be. But at the very end of that, there was something that was like, there's still going to be two more fighters that haven't been announced yet. And then you hear a chainsaw revving. And then Bruce Campbell like retweeted that video being like, hmm, I think I might have to check out this Mortal Kombat game, guys. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. So looks like we might be getting Ash in Mortal Kombat after all. Yeah, sounds like it. I hope so. That'd be dope. I mean, I'm going to be buying it decently soon anyway. I don't know. Like, I just dropped a lot of money on a fucking bed, but... Yeah, that's understandable. (laughs) God, I hope so. That'd be a lot of fun to play as Ash, but... No shit, In Mortal Kombat, fucking people up. Did you ever play that Evil Dead video game that came out, like, years back? Oh, which, like, Fistful of Boomstick? I think so, yeah. I never did play it. I never did either. I I was kind of curious. I was always too broke at the time. Yeah. Just never got around to it. I heard some good things. I've heard some bad things. Just never really got to play it. Mm-hmm. But, I think there's been one or two since then as well, but well, if there have, I haven't played any of them. Let's put it that way. I'm just kind of curious, but uh, yeah, this is a series, and we've talked about. We kind of grew up with is Are You Afraid of the Dark? And we've talked about the fact that there was plans for a movie. Well, I did read earlier this week, and I'm going to bring it up right now, is that Gary Doberman apparently he's no longer attached to the film. And he's kind of confirmed that there was actually nothing has been shot yet, like at all. And it was slated for an October release of this year, which is just a few months away. But it sounds like it might not even be a go at this point because this is Paramount, that is. They've taken it off of the release date. Nothing has been confirmed. But it sounds like with Doberman, some of the stuff he said, that they had an issue with the script that he wrote. He said, you know, he wanted to, of course, keep intact the Midnight Society, keep it kind of like the old format from the 90s, but apparently he wanted to keep it dark, and Paramount okay. didn't. Oh. Yeah, so he's like, you know, I'm just going to have to part ways. Oh, I, I bet. think they wanted a little bit more on the, like, the goosebump side. And I was going to say, I bet they wanted, because Are You Afraid of the Dark, as I remember it growing up, was a show that was kind of marketed from like... The 8 to 13 range. Yeah, that was a perfect. But it was probably a little bit more appropriate for like the 13 up range. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that as well. And I think they're probably trying to aim it for the actual 8 to 13. Honestly, the old spirit of the show is 13 plus, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. With those, it the, used the to scare the shit out of me when I was a kid. And some yeah. of them truly end like dark. They are, yeah, there were several that were bleak didn't have any happy endings to it which is nice it even gave you you know that sense of the dread without it being too dreadful you mm-hmm. know what i mean if it makes sense but yeah it's kind of unfortunate i was looking forward to seeing what they were going to do with this 
I know considering I grew up watching the series and I know it's something amongst our group of friends we've talked about too. We still bring it up from time to time, but I don't know. It's kind of unfortunate. If they plan to do it in the future, that's cool. I even heard some news that they were wanting to bring back the format like the series had back in the nineties. Okay. But I heard it was unrelated to the film itself, so I don't see why you just don't do the show again. I'd be okay with that. Kind of like how they're doing like Twilight Zone right now. Get like a Jordan Peele type to just oversee it. And... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of visionaries out there. So in the right hands, it could be really good. Yeah. Fucking come on. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Hulu. Yeah. Canada stepped <laughs> Which it up is again. just Disney. But. <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean. It's I just kind of hated that. But what can you do? Mm-hmm. I know you actually mentioned this. And that's the host, but the director of the host, Bong Joon-ho, he has a new film. It's entitled Parasite, and it's going to get a limited theatrical release. This is dated for October 11th. Wasn't the other host movie about alien parasites? I think so, yeah. Which is (laughs) kind of funny. (laughs) But this is a brief synopsis that Parasite entails. It says, meet the Park family, the picture of aspirational wealth. In the Kim family, rich and street smarts, but not much else. Be it chance or fate, these two houses are brought together, and the Kim sense a golden opportunity. Mastermindedly, by college-aged Kim Woo, the Kim children expediently install themselves as tutor and art therapist to the parks. Soon, a symbiotic relationship forms between the two families, but this new ecosystem is fragile, and soon enough, greed and class prejudice threaten to upend the Kim's newfound comfort. So... Sounds interesting. I know we covered the host. I really enjoyed the shit out of that film. Really liked a lot the host. of fun. I'd definitely be willing to give this a shot, no matter what it was, based off of that alone. So yeah, and some of the limited Korean horror films I have watched are pretty good. I mean, mm-hmm. they're really good storytelling. Might not be your flavor of horror, but the drama aspect is always good. So I'll keep my eye out and. Perhaps if it's around, go check it out. Yeah. I've got two other bits of news. One of these is there's a new horror western film entitled The Pale Door. And it looks like this is a film that follows a gang of cowboys and a mysterious woman who seeks shelter in a seemingly uninhabited ghost town after a disastrous train robbery. This entails a coven of witches and bloodthirsty wolves. So, looks interesting. Now, there is a guy that's in the film that we've talked about in Starry Eyes, but Pat Healy is a part of the cast. The other I really haven't heard of. It looks like some up-and-coming stars. Now, I feel most horror westerns don't really do the western part well and tend to just use it more as, like, set dressing. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. And it doesn't really have anything to do with the western genre. It's either an action horror or... Sometimes just straight action, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, with just like dark elements or like a supernatural horror that just happens to be set in the Old West, which I'd say being set in the Old West is different than being a Western. Yeah, I agree. But we'll see. Like anytime somebody says anything Western, my ears perk up a little bit and I'm like, ooh, is it going to be more like American Westerns or more like spaghetti Westerns or what are they going to do with it? So Yeah, so I'll keep my eye out on it. Maybe perhaps uh, if it's worth checking out, let's Mm -hmm. check it out. And this is another bit of news. We've already talked about, I think, amongst ourselves, but it has been confirmed that Terrifier 2, it has full funding and it's going to be filming this fall. So this is another little brief synopsis, but it looks like after being resurrected by a sinister entity, Art the Clown returns to Miles County, where he must hunt down and destroy a teenage girl 
and her younger brother on Halloween. So I'm going to take this moment to beg for a minute because although I don't think either of us were like a million percent blown away by Terrifier, we're blown away by the character of Art the Clown. Yeah, Art, it was definitely a showcase for him. So like if anybody involved is like listening and wants to involve us somehow, that'd be awesome. Just... Yeah, we totally be down. <laughs> uh, we have I think we're both would... I think we're both really, really, really down with art. And so if this is getting oh, made right now, like I'm just gonna throw it out there. Like maybe just just hit us up. Yeah. Not that we have anything to bring to the table really, but I mean we have some acting cred. But I'm just I'm just kinda hoping beyond how, like this is the secret, right? I'm putting it out there. <laughs> Dude, you never know. Sometimes you got to throw it out there. It says right here, and this is coming from Leon, is that he says, now the scope of Terrify 2 is 10 times bigger than the original. Whatever that entails, whether it's budget, maybe it's what he's able to do. I'm so excited. So we do have a continuation of Art the Clown and Terrifier 2, which, you know, depends on the filming process, of course, and post-production but perhaps it might be out next year dope yeah so that's pretty much the bits of news that i ran across that i felt like a little bit pertinent some of the other stuff just kind of like eh you know it's been kind of a slow week for the most part yeah i agree i've been feeling slow all day and none of the shit that we're putting into our lungs right now is helping me feel any faster but (laughs) while i'm all dopey (laughs) let's get into the guts and bolts of the fucking collector huh yeah Oh, it's just The Collector, though, not The Fucking Collector. That's probably a completely different movie. Yeah. I'll look it up later. (laughs) That's awesome. Guts and Bolts. Ah, yeah, time for the Guts and Bolts. You know it. Shit. So, what, synopsis? Yeah, Spoiler-free synopsis? Spoiler-free. What's this movie about? Oh, God. So, a dude who's working at a house and casing it. To help out his family by stealing shit. Goes back to do said job. Only to find the place fucking booby trapped by a serial killer. And shit ensues. Simple enough. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler free, simple. I like it. Yeah, so this film came out in 2009. From week to week, we like to talk about the cast and the crew. This week, we'll start off with our director. And he's also one half of a writing partnership. And that is Marcus Dunstan. And Marcus, I had mentioned earlier, there is a sequel, so a little bit of a spoiler, but he is responsible for directing The Collection, the film The Neighbor, and the upcoming, there's two films, there's an upcoming, and I've mentioned it too, The Collected, and a film called Hooked Up, and they're both in pre-production as of this recording. I did mention that he is one half of a writing partnership, and his partner is Patrick Melton. Now, they've pretty much helped co-write just about every screenplay together with the exception of maybe one or two here and there. Mm-hmm. But some of their credits include Feast, which, if I'm not mistaken, it helped them win Greenlight's third season. They wrote the screenplay, whatnot. Anyway, they went on to write Feast 1, 2, and 3. They're also responsible for Saw Part 4 through 6 and 3D, which is entitled The Final Chapter. Marcus is actually a part of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I think he helped with one of the segments. He was also a part of Piranha 3 Double D, which Patrick was as well. So as I did mention that they both had pretty much all of those. The only difference is, is that Patrick helped write the screenplay for a film entitled Rise. And there's a director who's also a part of this team, but he wasn't a director. He was a special effects designer, which I'll bring up a little bit later on. So anyhow, 
Our cinematographer is Brandon Cox. Brandon is responsible for directing the music video for Eminem's 3AM. You've oh, ever shit. seen that? Yeah. yeah, I've actually I've seen that video, and it's kind of a good little like horror-inspired video. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. He's also the cinematographer on the film Extraction. If you've ever seen the film Heist and or Marauders, he's also the DP for those films. Our editor, there is actually three editors, and the first one I have is Alex Luna. Now, Alex went on to edit the film The Collection. He also helped with the film Heist, Knights of Bad Astem, which was actually part of the <laughs> editorial <laughs> department. But I have seen that. It's not a bad film. James Mastracco, he helped with the film Feast and the film Pulse, which he was a part of the editorial department. He also helped with uh, being the assistant editor with the Wire television series from 02 through 03. Which oh, that was pretty dumb. neat. Yeah. And Howard Smith, I had to write down because they've got a wealth of credits. So some of the films that Howard Smith is a part of, have you ever seen the film The Abyss? You might have seen Strange Days, maybe Near Dark or Dante's Peak. There's some other films within as well. I was like, wow. Dante's Peak. Shot just up the road, like two hours away. It's pretty wild, Dante's isn't it? Peak. Uh, I knew people about, that were extras in it. Are you familiar with the film Point Break? Oh, shit. <laughs> Big Man on Campus. <laughs> Stuff like that. So even part of uh, the Twilight Zone, the movie, this is uh, segment four you helped with. Oh, cool. So I was like, yeah, there's some pretty interesting credits. They brought those people on because of the way this film was shot. They all had a kind of a certain technique they used, and that's why there's three different editors. All right, the music was composed by Jerome Dillon. Now, he has composed music for the soundtracks on the films Bully and Cecil B. Demented. He also helped compose music for The Love of Money and No One Lives. The special effects teams were Two Hours in the Dark. They helped with the makeup effects in this. And Glow Gun, they helped with the online editing. Our producers were Brett Forbes, Julie Richardson, Patrick Rizzotti, and Christopher Lockhart. Production companies were LD Entertainment. They helped present the film. Fortress Features and Imaginarium Entertainment Group were also production companies. Distributors were LD Entertainment. They helped with the 2009 Worldwide and USA Theatrical Release and Freestyle Releasing helped with 2009's USA's All Media. The release date was July 31st, 2009 here in the States. It had a budget of about $3.5 million. It's opening weekend. This was dated August 2nd of 2009. Made $3.6 million, and it grossed anywhere between $7.7 to $9.4 million, okay. give or take. And it does have a tagline, and that is, he always takes one. Okay. That's, yeah. Yeah. That'll make more sense once we get to talking about it. Alright, so the cast of this film. And this week I'm going to start off with our protagonist, perhaps? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is Josh Stewart. He plays the role of Arkin O'Brien. And Josh has got some really cool credits. Now, some of those include the film The Dark Knight Rises. He was also a part of Interstellar. He was in the film The Neighbor. You might have seen him in Insidious, The Last Key. He was also a part of The Punisher. He played the role of John Pilgrim. And yeah, season two on Netflix, which yeah. I feel bad that I haven't finished, but he is doing a really good job from the episodes that I have seen. It's just not as interesting of a season as season one. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. All right, now the next actor I have is Michael Riley Burke. He plays the role of Michael Chase. 
He was in the films Mars Attacks. He did play the role of Ted Bundy in the film Bundy. He was also part of Monster Party, Slender Man, and the film Vice. Andrea Roth plays the role of Victoria Chase. So what I'm doing is I'm just like going to oh, label yeah. the family, and then I'll get to our big character. All right, so Andrea, you might have seen her in the television series Rescue Me. That came out from 2004 through 2011. She was also in the film War and in the film Dark Places. Our next actress is Madeline Zima. She plays the role of Jill Chase. Now, she was in the film The Hand That Rocks a Cradle. She was in Mr. Nanny, if you've ever seen that film. Uh, she was also oh, no part of... shit. Wait. Holy shit. Yeah. Some old Hulk Hogan. What? <laughs> That's insane. Which is funny because she went on to star in the television series The Nanny with Fran Drescher from 93 through 1999. She was also part of Californication television series from 2007 through 2011. I saw her more recently because she was in Twin Peaks, the television series, back in 2017, which was a part of Showtime's Twin Peaks. All right, now the next actress I have is Carly Scott Collins. She plays the role of Hannah Chase. She was in the films Pulse 2 and 3. She was also a part of Once Upon a Time, When You Find Me, and the film Amish Grace. So that pretty much is the Chase family. The next actor I have is Juan Fernandez. He plays the role of The Collector. And he's been in such films as Crocodile Dundee Part 2. He was also in Arachnophobia. I don't think we ever brought him up, but he was a part of that expedition team at the beginning. Oh, okay. All right. He was also in the film Necronomicon, The Book of Dead. He was also in Salvadori and A Man Apart. The next actress I have is Daniela Alonso. She plays the role of Lisa, which is Arkin's partner in the film. She has been a part of the television series One Tree Hill, she was also in The Hills of Eyes Part 2, and she was in Paul Blart, Mall Cop Part 2. They did a Part 2 to Paul Blart? Yeah, I didn't see it. I did see the first one. It's decent, you know, if you're into him. <laughs> All right, so the next actress I have is Haley Poulos. She plays the role of Cindy, which is a daughter of Arkin in this film. She has been a part of Dead Air. You might have seen her, I think she was in an episode or two of House from back in 2011. She was also a part of the General Hospital television series from 2009 all the way through 2019. All right, the next actor I have is William Prale. He plays the character of Larry Wharton. You might have seen him in Dracula 2000. He was also a part of Feast Parts 2 and 3 and the film Pulse Part 2 and 3. The next actress is Diane Ayala Goldner. She plays the role of Gina Wharton. So this is like the couple in the beginning of the film. Okay. She was also a part of Feast. She was in all three. You might have seen her in Pulse Part 2 and 3. She was also in Rob Zombie's Halloween Part 2. She was in Hatchet Part 3. And she was also part of Hellraiser Judgment. And the next two actors I have are Robert Wisdom. He plays the role of Roy. Now, this is one of those actors. He's got some really cool credits. There's a film you mentioned that you've seen upwards to 80-plus times. The reason I bring that up is because he was in That Thing You Do. Oh, right. See, now, as much as I have seen that thing you do, Robert Wisdom now for me is Bunny Colvin from The Wire. Because The Wire is one of the most amazing things that's ever been on TV, and especially that season in fucking Hamsterdam. So. Yeah, dude. So he was a big part of that television series. You might have also seen him in the film Face Off. He was also a part of the film Mighty Joe Young. I know you're a fan of the television series ER, and he was a part of that back in 2001. He was also in The Dark Knight Rises, 
the film Ray, which is about Ray Charles, and he was also in the film The Loft. All right, and then the last actor I have is Alex Feldman. He plays the boyfriend, and that boyfriend's name was Chad. Now he's been in the Chernobyl Diaries. He was also a part of <laughs> a the fucking Chad. Yeah, he's definitely a Chad. He was also in the television series The Americans. He was also a part of the film Eternity Hill, and he was also in Law and Order all the way back in 2001. So that pretty much rounds out our cast, our crew. We gave you a brief synopsis. We do have to give you some warnings because this film does warrant those. Language, it gets pretty gory, and there's some titties. Yep. Language, gore, bibs, and... Uh, Almost sex. You don't quite get there, but there's like sucking on the titties, so... Yeah. There's some strippers. Sucking on my titties <laughs> like you want. <laughs> I think if there's any drug use, per se. If there is, it's maybe in the bar scene. I don't even think there is. I don't think there is. But no, for the most part, like I said, it's... Uh, it's just pretty nasty. Like, yeah. It's a booby-trapped house that's not fucking around, so... No, there's no fucking around in this film. Shit, I guess with that, let's get into how the collector made us squeal. <laughs> how does that make you squeal? <laughs> oh, fuck. All right. The collector. How did it make us squeal? So this was my first time with The Collector. I only had ever heard of them before, and I was always kind of interested, because I always kind of heard the second one was better than the first one, and so I was a little bit more interested to get just, like, through this so that I felt ready to watch the second one. But, yeah, I ended up really, really, really liking this movie. I don't know about you, so... Yeah, so this is one of those I do have a history with once again. I'd mentioned, it might have been last week, could have been a couple weeks or months ago, but anyway... I had seen this back when it was released in the theater back in 09. I went by myself the first time, really liked it. I talked to my friend Sean and I go and seen it with me. The second time I went and seen it, and he liked it as well. So around that time, I think I was kind of getting into like more of the gory side of horror. Because I think it was around the time I was finding like Martyrs and okay. High Tension and Inside and films like that. So this one kind of fit that bill. For me... It, uh, I mean, I like the Saw movies, but I felt like this one was a little bit better, perhaps. Yeah. So I know that this was originally pitched as like a prequel to Saw. I saw a really interesting interview because that, in part, it is true, but not. But also not. Like they had yeah. a script that they were going to adapt to be a prequel. So the idea was that they already had the concept for like a home invasion. Okay. And what they wanted was for. I always forget his name, but the guy who is, you know, the antagonist and the Saw movies, John, whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, I anyway, can't remember why. I can't John remember. Kramer? Yeah, Kramer. So it was supposed to be about the story of his parents being murdered in front of him by this kind of entity, and it triggered him to reenact those years later in the form of the Saw movies. Right. That's where he got, like, the traps from, basically. Essentially, yeah. So okay. that was their idea was to try to prop up a backstory for his character leading into all that stuff that we see, of course, later on in the Saw franchise. So, in essence, yeah, it was a prequel, but it was more or less like an idea for a prequel. See, so what I thought was that... You remember in Saw 2, how it was kind of more just like the people in a house with various booby traps, and, you know, they're sick, so they have to get the fucking... I never liked that part (laughs) of it. Like, that always seemed a little weird and clunky, but... I felt like this was like the better version of that. 
Like, if they could have made that concept more like this somehow, it would have been a lot better. Yeah. I mean, with the Saw stuff, you kind of have to lean into the fact that, like, oh, Jigsaw's doing it for a reason, so each one of the traps has to do with something pertaining to them and shit. And, but the setup of that movie was still kind of like, there's multiples of them in there at one time, not just one person to yeah, a trap. Exactly. and. If you're willing to, you could conceivably help each other, even though most of them are dumbasses or <laughs> doing crazy shit like throw an asshole into the fucking needle pit. Yeah, exactly. And I only call her an asshole because I know the twist, but <laughs> I don't know. This felt like the better version of that, where there's like a booby-trapped house and you're trapped inside and totally remind me of Saw, which makes sense because these assholes worked on Saw. But like you said, kind of just better. At least better than some of the later outings. For me, it felt like... For that time period, it fit a certain bill of movies I was looking for. And because of the gore and just the concept of the film, I really enjoyed it. For me, it was a little something different at that time than, you know, kind of the rest of the shit that was coming out. So what the fuck, though, is with that opening title sequence? Because that doesn't yeah. feel like 2009. That no. feels like late 90s, early 2000s. Well, all right. I'm glad you say that because <laughs> this is a really cool thing I learned. So my second time watching this film, for the podcast it is, is that I listened to the director's commentary, and it included Patrick Milton. At one point, they had a conversation with one of the guys who did some visual design work on this, and he also talked to a cinematographer. But anyway, the guy who composed the music is Jerome Dillon. And at one point, he was actually in Nine Inch Nails. He was their drummer for a bit. And because of that, they wanted to create kind of that industrial, you know, mm -hmm. kind of gritty feel. And they actually shot it themselves. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah, they said they didn't really have the budget to get somebody to go in and do all that stuff. So they kind of did it themselves. And a lot of the scenes and sequences that you've seen, like the flashes of characters, are actually some of them. <laughs> I mean, it all looked cool. It was just like, this doesn't seem like 2009. Yeah, no, no. I know what you mean. Yeah, it was 10 years ago. It didn't really, I mean, it didn't feel like that. But you're right. I think it fit more into like the 90s. My, I'm, the notes that I put down was like, it felt like out of like seven or like 13 ghosts. Yeah. Well, seven was kind of an inspiration for this film, too. And I even think some of that, some of their sequences. Yeah. Uh, so that would make sense. But then you go into that beautiful opening time lapse. That was really nice. That was really pretty. Also, not huge what contrast. I was ex not what I was expecting coming out of that opening credit sequence, and a huge contrast to kind of just what I thought this movie was going to be. Yeah, it kind of takes you out of that industrial, like I said, setting into a really interesting, serene kind of opening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so yeah, I see what you mean. It throws you off a little bit. God, I don't know. Let's see. After that opening, the cold opening, where I was just confused. I'm like, what the fuck's with the box? When you get into, like, Arkin, because that's when it starts to get slightly interesting again. I don't know. Honestly, like, I made a note that this is only an hour and a half movie, mm -hmm. and they actually get to where, like, they're in the house and, like, shit's going down really quickly. Like, by minute, like, 21, yeah, like, shit's popping off. But I still ended up making a note, like, I kind of wanted to just get there quicker. Yeah. Because all the setup, like, I liked the setup, and you kind of needed to know some of those things, but I'm like, I kind of don't care. Like, let yeah. me just get to this now, because I, I know something fucked up's about to pop off. Yeah, exactly. What I think was cool on their part is they did want to give a little bit more of a backstory to why he was 
you know, in the house and just the whole setup of the film itself. He's like, you know, in certain horror films, slashers, and, you know, in this case too, because it is got lumped in with the torture porn mm-hmm. aspect of it, is that a lot of people in these films are just kind of throwaway characters, so you don't really have to care about them. You just get through, usually the bad guys, the one who comes out on top at the end, etc. But he wanted this, or they both wanted this to have a little bit more of a backbone. So that's why they wanted you to sympathize a little bit more with Arkin. I guess I got that. I wasn't too bad with that. I felt like the scene with him going and haggling about when he got paid mm-hmm. was just kind of gratuitous. Yeah. I think extended. you could have done everything that's done in that scene in the previous one with, uh, what's the name of his partner? Lisa. Yeah. yeah. I think you could have, in that scene where they're like in the, is it the bowling, bowling alley? alley? Yeah. I think you could have extended that by like 30 seconds and have her act a little bit more hysterical, but make it clear that everything's going to be okay as long as he gets there before midnight and you don't even have to have the other scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's all it is, is like, okay, I'm just making sure that things are going to be good if I get there by midnight. Yeah. So the kind of the neat thing too about using the whole aspect of midnight was that this film was originally titled The Midnight Man. Oh. You know, and that was kind of a big emphasis in the original screenplay. He has to meet that deadline, you know. So the original concept, I think, too, for that whole sequence in the bowling alley was supposed to be at least eight minutes longer. (laughs) So even with some of the shit they cut down on, I know what you mean. It's like, do you really need it? No, not really. But No. Well, and that's the thing. I think the three-minute scene that comes after that can be cut entirely if you just extend that one scene by 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly, dude. You know, like I, said, I think that a lot of that's timing, too. They said they mm-hmm. only had 19 days to shoot, so there's a lot of shit you have to pare down. But I know what you're saying. It's a little stilted. Like I said, though, like you get to the action within like 21 Yeah, minutes. it's pretty quick. So I think I was just being picky. I already told you, like, I was having a hard fucking time concentrating last night. I was stoned as a motherfucker. <laughs> and just, yeah. I started this too late. Like, I thought I was going to watch the movie as soon as we got done with the Jafar premiere. I came in, I laid on the ground for a minute with my cat and sort of gave him some love because I'd been gone all day and almost fucking passed out on the floor. Ended up taking, like, a two-hour nap. Hell yeah. Like, then I was like, God, I have to make dinner. Made dinner, then started in on the movie, and I was just fucking out of it by that point. Yeah, it's a long day, dude. And so I was just like, I just was wanting to get to it. I was just wanting to get there. And it gets there quick. It just wasn't quick enough for me. I was yeah. like, no, just, I should just click this and it goes, right? Okay. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. But the thing that what you were saying is, is because it only takes like 20 something on minutes once you're in the muck of things, is it turns into eventually a, the cat and mouse game where one thing that's cool about this story is that the guy who is breaking into the house in the form of Arkin is there, you know, because he's wanting to help his family, but he's also been casing the joint. He knows where, was it like a diamond or ruby Mm -hmm. is at in the safe. But unbeknownst to him, there's also somebody who has other nefarious plans. They never really, it is a ruby, right? I think it is. It just hasn't been cut yet. Right, exactly. It's raw. Because they never really make it very clear. They say it like maybe twice and it's really quick. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. But that's... The whole purpose of him being in but the house. But you know that he needs something expensive. It doesn't matter right. what the fuck it is. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, they are, there's even that little exchange he has with the 50-50 and then eventually what, mm-hmm. 60-40 split. So there's some kind of significance. But yeah, you're right. Once he's starting to crack that safe, 
in comes our boy, the collector, and as soon as he hits that step, that's when shit gets triggered. I'm going to back up really quick because that leads into a totally different conversation about something I really liked about this movie, but something that surprised me, and I don't know how they would have worked it in with the way this movie plays out, but I'm really surprised with the way they introduced Jill's character they didn't find some way to have her try to jump Arkin's bones at some point. Yeah, good point. Just because that's the kind of character intro you give a character if that's what happens later on. Yeah, you Just from a, like a cliche standpoint. Right, right. Almost a trope standpoint, yeah. It makes sense. Why else would they have that interaction? And It's a, little, it was, a little bit of a flirty. Yeah, it was a little flirty and in the real shorthand movie sort of way that we're used to at this point. Yeah, exactly. And so maybe that was kind of a good thing cuz I was kept expecting for the movie to slow down in some weird way where that could happen and it never went there, but it kind of stood out to me cuz I'm like, why do you give this sort of weird flirty intro when you're just having her bone down with some other dude later? And that's good though because you're right. It doesn't fall back into that trope as well. It just sets you up a little bit for it. All right. So one of the things I'll talk about before we actually get into like the meaty part is I learned that the house, like the opening sequence that you get with the Whartons when they encounter the collector, mm-hmm. <laughs> the first little couple, is they had to use, of course, a lot of exterior shots, a lot of interior shots, and they were all filmed in different order. So a lot of it's the editing process. So anyway, that particular house was located in Santa Clarita, California. And it was actually shot six months after principal photography on this film. Oh, okay. So they apparently knew like some contacts that would actually let them use that house. And they used it for like several other films apparently as well. I wonder, if, really I wonder if the intro somehow felt even slower without that bit. That's a good point. Yeah. Because like I said, it's not a slow intro. You get to it and the movie's popping off once he's in the house doing it because you have the tension of like, He's an intruder. Yeah, exactly. You have that built-in tension from the get-go, and then once you realize what else is happening, it only goes up and up from there. But Exactly. But I thought that was really cool. And then the mansion, the one that's being used you know, as part of this cat-and-mouse game, that was shot in Shreveport. Some of the interiors were in Shreveport, but in a different house. Some of the interior was also located in Burbank, <laughs> California, so, like I said, throughout the film, depending on the location inside the house, they said part of the reason, too, is that Shreveport, Louisiana home, they said the interiors were just goofily designed, like, mm. from room to room to room. It didn't really flow. But long story short, that's some of the kind of little trivia facts that was kind of neat. But, yeah, once a collector is inside the house, and then once Arkin figures out, like, oh, shit. And that's the thing. <laughs> so Arkin, through this movie... One of the things that sort of won me over about him, because he is like an asshole thief. You right, understand right. that he's doing it for his family, but then. But it's still, he's you, doing then it for you wonder your, how, yeah. like, they got in bed with fucking loan sharks and shit anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not his first rodeo. Exactly. So, but one of the things that overall, throughout the movie, won me over about him is that he's a believable badass. Yeah. Later on, the collector, also a badass, but sort of strays into the realm of being unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do have Which to suspend it. Which is cool, whatever. Bit. Like, I thought it was really neat. I thought it was kind of cool that they sort of found a way to, like, make the collector almost his own sort of, like, Michael Myers unstoppable force. Yeah. But he's good at what he does. He fucking hears the fucking thing, 
immediately puts his shit back down and doesn't even just abandon off, finds a way to circle all the way back Damn, around. That fucking overhead shot when they're going yeah. through the doors that's was awesome. one of my that was I fucking diagrammed it like in it's, my it's notes, a nice shot, it's dude. So fucking cool looking. It's, it's really cool. So some of that was like done on a soundstage. And the guy who uh, throughout the film plays the collector, there was like three or four different people throughout the filming process who were playing that part, you know. But uh, I think Melton, during that sequence when he's coming through the door and Arkin's going through the other door into a different room, and they're Mm -hmm. just kind of circling each other. Yeah, so Melton was a part of that sequence, which was really cool. I did notice that when Arkin first gets into the house the very first time lightning flashes, like a big flash, not just like a really small background flash, since those are happening every now and then anyway. The very first big lightning flash lights up his reflection in that mirror that they use at the end. Yeah. There is a little bit of foreshadowing in this film. I thought that was really fucking cool. Yeah, there is one a little bit later on too, that flash where you see all those wires... That was dumb. like he's about to walk into them. Like, Which oh, shit. you also <laughs> realize that the collector set up in like two minutes. Yeah. Well, all right. Which I, no, I'm actually okay with it because yeah, yeah. when you look at how it's, it's not like they're super intricately placed. No, it right, looks right, right. like I know they're what you're they're connected at certain points, and all he has to do is shove them into the wall. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of misconception too, and I think that's where it helps when you watch it multiple times. Is like, oh, okay, there was actually more than one person case in this house. Mm-hmm. so i mean that makes perfect sense but yeah you're right i think they were designed to where you can just rig them up in a matter of moments yeah it looked like they were probably just like a bundle with those like push-in ends like in a protective bag oh, not like in his pocket obviously yeah Damn. but then all you'd have to do is grab those and yep exactly and that's why they were all kind of fucking wonky because it wasn't like you're right it wasn't like in a certain grid pattern it was no yeah it was conveniently placed. <laughs> but he does get it up in like two minutes. I just, I think there's a very plausible explanation for how he's able to do that. Yeah, exactly. It just Even makes it almost more impressive. <laughs> I think so, considering. All right, so once he starts to wander around the house, and that's Arkin, that is, he's dodging oh, this guy. Let's talk about him wandering around the house. Even just as soon as he knows there's somebody else in the yeah, house. Yeah, all the booby traps. Because one of the most impressive things about this movie to me was how they visually incorporated him noticing the booby traps and just the way the camera moved and i actually likened it to almost being its own visual story yeah because he's not able to say anything at that point (laughs) you know what i mean because he's being hunted but he's having to notice these things and it's a lot of his emoting combined with the camera work to show what he's noticing and just how these things right. are interplayed into the room. Yeah. And I think there's easy ways to do that. And I don't have the language to describe what exactly they were doing different with the camera. But I feel like most things I've watched wouldn't show those things in the same way that felt so organic and meshed in with what he was doing. Yeah, you're right. He's experiencing these things without this startlement and giving himself away. And they made mention a little bit, too, of some of the scenes they were shooting is they wanted to use the actors. And then in some cases, you can just use whomever because that's not really the important aspect, which is really neat. A little bit of this film, believe it or not, is I felt it had a little bit of a giallo feel to it, too. Because you have this masked character who's stalking you and picking people off, 
and it is kind of like a who done it, you know, who the fuck is this person who's behind the mask, etc. But they made mention too that they were fans of Suspiria and Argento, which in the sequel there's a big like that's that play a little bit more. Yeah, there's a big homage, but I thought that was kind of clever too. It's like they're using that, but not well, like exploiting on, it. The dog. <laughs> that too, yeah. There is that, but there's like a huge homage that's I mean literally spelled out. But yeah, the dog with the neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're right. He's walking around the home after he's gotten downstairs, and he's noticing all the booby traps. I think even before that, he tries to pick up the phone and gets pierced in the ear. I didn't even notice that the first time through. It's so quick. Oh, shit. Yeah. Like you said, he can't scream or else he's fucked. Mm -hmm. But you know that's painful as a motherfucker. He walks into one of those wires and cuts his cheek. So, you know, he has to really be cautious and mindful even when he backtracks. I really hoped somebody was going to just get shoved into those fucking wires, but the collector just ended up having a snap of yeah. later, which it was cool that they remembered that they were there and they made sure yeah, that he turned around and fucking cut him rather than just having him suddenly turn and, you know, bolt after those people. Yeah, exactly. But man, I wanted to see somebody get shoved in. <laughs> yeah, that's like some cube stuff right there too. Yeah, right? Oh, fuck, we need to do cube. Oh, it's a matter of time. All right, so he makes his way down in the basement, and that's where he discovers the chases, right? And it changes to this really... Well, it starts off where he's just kind of inspecting the basement. Finding Mr. Chase reminded me a bit of Hostel. Yeah, it kind of is. It really is. Even, like, the colors. I mean, I I mean the color palettes are really interesting. The color changes, but... Hostel didn't use the yellow-green, did they? No, I think they used more of, like, the actual grayish-blacks. That's stuff. what I thought, yeah. but... Something about it. Something about the way that was filmed as compared to what he was just going through. I was like, this feels almost like he just stepped into a different movie. Yeah, no, that's But not in a bad way. No, 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 you're right. Even in the beginning of the film, too, all the different rooms are kind of showcased a different way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... It comes through, too, with the characters in this film. It also kind of directs it back towards them. But yeah, the guy who plays Michael Chase, he's all fucked up, chained up, and then the wife's all fucked up in the tub... Starts so to pop we off saw <laughs> we saw Chase get fucked up a little bit earlier. We don't know what he had ran into beforehand because right, yeah. he was already a little bit fucked. He up. He gets dropped off the stairs. <laughs> um, but we never saw what happened to his feet. Did do you think he tried running up those fucking stairs with the nails? Oh, it's a possibility. Or whatever they were, the fucking shackles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got fucked up good. What I was he got fucked up the worst of any. Was that what I wasn't anticipating? He I got totally fucked forgot. with for a while for sure. And, yeah, it was he got eviscerated. Yeah. You're like, oh, damn. I forgot how, like, grody this film gets. Uh, Which I was happy. Yeah. I, I was th- kind of, I, I dug the way they did the gore in this. I didn't think it was. I don't get super squeamish in films, but the one scene in particular was like, oh, I don't care who you are. That would fucking hurt is where he punches through the window. And oh, the fucking, the, the razor blades? Yeah, they catch him. You're like, oh, no. Because, dude, whew. He gets his hand fucked up by the end of the movie. Not as they bad. They do make an emphasis too. Not as bad as Chad, but <laughs> he's he's a, a safe cracker, right? Mm-hmm. So he needs his hands, and it's kind of set up with his exchange with Roy, who is the guy you talked about was in the wire, where they burn his hand a little bit. Then yeah, his hands get fucked up from that. His hands get slammed later on. So they make an emphasis to fuck his hands up. Something else happened at another point to his hands, too, I think. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, his hands are always getting fucked up. Oh, the goddamn hooks. Oh, yeah, dude. Ooh, that was rough, too. Especially if you've ever been fishing. That's like the... That's oh, a nightmare. Man. Yeah, somebody that's... hooking you. 
casting out. Ooh, that's a nightmare of mine. <laughs> yeah, so there were certain scenes, like I said, not that this film made me really squeamish, but there were certain instances where I was like, ooh, that's fucked. I think the thing that would have made me the most squeamish never happened. And if he would have actually cut off her tongue yeah. right then. <laughs> All right, here's something that's really funny. Is that the actress who played that? That was one of her concerns. Is like she knew that this film was, you know, pretty gnarly, and that was one of the scenes where they're like, "Yeah, no, 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 we're not going to do that." So I want to say it was the DP, if I'm not mistaken, who actually was like the hands that was holding her tongue and stuff. Mm. So he's like, you know, he was pretty much guiding her through it. They said that like almost everybody on set had the flu because they shot like in, uh, I think, in February mm-hmm. down in Louisiana, where it's like it's cold and. Uh, yeah sleeting and shit (laughs) yeah but that's like they were kind of fucking with her a little bit because that was like her biggest fear is like i don't want her tongue to get cut off and stuff it's like that's just too much for my character Mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's all that was they were kind of fucking with her a little bit but that would have been super gross yeah i love how the collector is able to almost just effortlessly move through the house there was one scene with that that it kind of bugged me because I'm okay with him just, like, knowing so well where the traps are that he's just instinctively not stepping in those places as he walks through the rooms. But later on in the room with, like, the hooks hanging down mm-hmm. that fucking Arkin runs into and yeah. gets some into his face, when the collector's after him, he just bursts into that fucking room. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. He did the same exact thing Arkin did. And it's just suddenly the hooks are, like, three feet back from where they were before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could have been... And that's the I only know, one yeah. I had a problem with. I was like, I'm good with everything else. I'm good with him just, like, I'm okay if he decided to dance through the fucking bear traps. Like, <laughs> yeah. But those hooks were right when you opened the fucking door, and he just slams in and just, like, busts, like, two feet into the room. Yeah, and it's like, oh, shit. But you're right, yeah. Those hooks were gnarly, dude. Part of the reason I'm cool with him being able to do that is because of how, like, they keep emphasizing, like, the spider motif. And, like, yeah, exactly. I, know that, I know how spiders and their webs work. Like, they know which ones to step on. I think that was clever, too, is the setup in this film is there are the uh, insect metaphors, specifically the spider, which is, I mean, it's not insect, but you know what I mean, mm-hmm. is there's a spider, the metaphor for the collector, set in those traps, weaving those webs. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And it also kind of alluded or foreshadowed the moments that he was going to be a presence, even towards the end. Yeah, that was really neat. Poor Kitty, though. Yeah. (laughs) They said that that scene was one of the more difficult scenes to shoot. They said, I think three or four different people were actually filming it. Like, they brought in the assistant director, like the first unit, second unit, just trying to set it up and shoot it. And they used real cats for certain scenes and mechanical cats for others. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. but they said it was like one of those scenes that should have been in and out, and it just took forever. I think it wasn't a particular day where they were ahead of schedule. Okay, and then it just because of that him. scene is like, nope, <laughs> right back to square one. <laughs> yeah, but it was good though. I was like, oh shit, this is fucked up. Yeah, I liked like the glue room though, like acidic glue and yeah. shit. I kind of thought that they were going to show more with that. Like Floor's I thought, lava, man. <laughs> like I thought, yeah, I thought the cat was going to be more fucked up than it was when it got up out of there finally yeah. before it got sliced in half. But I mean, they still showed that it was a problem, so whatever, yeah, I was cool with that. <sighs> Fuck. One of the things I really dig, both Arkin and the Collector, 
is that oh they both felt a little bit more closer to reality than some of these characters that we get in movies that are kind of like this yeah and that like he has that moment where he just gets fucking pissed for a second when the mom after she gets stabbed and he's trying to get out and he just hears her getting fucking stitched up yeah. and you're just like i fucking told you to stay with me are you fucking kidding me like are you, i was like are you serious right now but that's a moment, too, where I felt like her death specifically was that giallo moment. Mm. Especially, like, the zoom in on her face. She gets stabbed right in the guts. But then the collector is sort of the same way later on, where, like, when shit starts to go south, most of these other killers that have a shtick, they make sure that, like, that's their weakness. Is like, they have to keep to their shtick. He's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to use this shotgun. Yeah. Like, I'm going to just down. start flinging fucking knives at motherfuckers because I need to get out of here alive. Yeah, he has a purpose. I really dug that where he's just like, oh, now the trap is if you walk in front of me, I'm going to pull the trigger. That's <laughs> yeah. now the trap. Uh, speaking of which, what did you think about the dog being thrown back at him and getting blasted by the shotgun? That was, man, like, so it's not the dog's fault. So I was like, man, I don't like a dog that was taken advantage of in this way, getting killed in the first place, but so fucking ingenious with the fire bucket in the first place. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck did he just do? How the shit? I do think that scene should have went on for just like a second longer so you could see him like snap its neck or something, because yeah, yeah. just getting a face full of fire isn't going to kill a dog. No, 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 no. I think it's eluded, like you said, that his neck was broken, but um, I like but how then, the lead up to it, too. Then he throws the fucking flaming dog at him. I was like, what? Yeah, what I like is the collector knows that something's behind him. He sees a little bit of that glow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, ooh, that's good. That's fucked up. And then, <laughs> yeah, it's like, holy fuck. That was the thing. Like, this movie, I think it has like the same sort of spectacle gore spectacle as like the saws of that era or like hostile maybe not hostile this doesn't go to the same extreme as hostile too yeah yeah but, i agree with you there but it seems like they're having a little bit more fun doing it it's still a dark movie yeah. and like even up until the end like you're not sure if the kid's really in trouble which is kind of always dark by itself like <laughs> yeah like oh fuck are they gonna kill the kid like, oh damn yeah and especially just like thinking about the kid being trapped in that fucking booby trapped house like that's fucked like any number of things that could happen to her and all that shit but at the same time like you have a guy getting killed by falling into a room full of fucking bear traps yeah as gory as it is it's also really fucking ridiculous i mean (laughs) it kind of is but i think it is for one of those like you said his name is chad so go figure yeah he's there for that kind of kill you know, that's his main purpose. The cool thing was is that actor, Feldman, he was a buddy of Dunstan's and Melton's. And they're like, yeah, he flew down, used his own clothes as a part of his costume and shit. And he just went in there and did his thing. So, yeah. You mentioned before that, like, every room sort of almost seemed to have its own feel and every character seemed to carry its own thing. And, like, the mom felt giallo. The dad felt fucking hostile. Yeah. The daughter felt slasher, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like almost like a Jason Voorhees kind of kill. I mean, a machete even got used. Yeah. I mean, Techn- it, I mean it only got the fucking fingers. Said, of there's Chad, elements of, of all of that in there. You're right. I almost thought for a second that they were going to go, even though I wasn't thinking it so in these terms, especially the first time through, it was more of just a big blob of thoughts. But since it did feel so slashery, I was like, ooh, are they going to do, like, late-era slasher and throw in a comedic beat right here? (laughs) And I was really hoping 
that he was going to back up and go to go down on her and hit that tripwire and have the machete just barely miss over the top of his head and not have either of them notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <that'd> be funny. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that that was going to happen for a second. There's a good setup for that. Yeah, I even think her death, Jill's death, that is, Madeline Zima's character was Ooh, that pretty was good. Weird. It was weird, but it was also... Do you think you can fling a body just by her holding on to a pair I, of scissors? I doubt that, but yeah, I was like, you just let go. <laughs> That, that much force, force, it's getting ripped out of your hand. Yeah, anyway, just say exactly. Right? That much like, force, you're not holding on. But just the way that her death shot, I suppose, just with her eye kind of being gashed out a little bit. Cool. It's like, that's a nice little touch. That was fucking cool. Yeah, there was a lot of really good detail. There was a guy I mentioned in this film that he worked on a lot of the digital aspects of this. And that guy's name is David. So basically, uh, the spiders? No, he did like 130 different effects. Effect now, here's, here's what I talked about the budget. They said that. They really couldn't afford this huge budget to be working on, you know, CG and shit. So they quite literally hired a 22-year-old guy who was still in college to do a lot of this. And so one of the first things that you can notice is the wasps right? when Argon's out smoking. Now, all of those wasps were digitally created. None of them are real. I would have left the wasp shot out to be honest, and spend a little bit more of that money elsewhere. Well, I think they use that in part because it kind of sets up literally the next scene, and I'll mention part of the reason why. But even like some of the lightning you talked about, all of that was digitally crafted. I think one of the coolest sequences, perhaps, of his is when Arkin's actually driving back to the home after he's made the deal you know, mm-hmm. with the loan shark. They couldn't afford to use a helicopter to get an overhead shot. So all of that was created, the drive up into the yard and all that stuff. And it was kind of cool. Like during the director's commentary, he talked about the effects he used, like getting to certain atmosphere and also making it a note that that particular house is kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But in reality, that house <laughs> was in it's a like neighborhood. A block away from... I think there's a scene like when Arkin's in his truck, you can barely make it out, but behind him you can see some houses, like it's mm-hmm. in some kind of development. But anyway, that yeah, that kid's 22, and the film I mentioned earlier that Patrick Melton helped write for it was called Rise, and I think that was Carlick's directorial debut. Okay. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So they're still using him, because I think he's gone on to do stuff with the collection and some other, maybe the neighbor and stuff like that as well. But it was neat to know that you know, they joked around. I was like, yeah, we paid him 12 bucks, and he pretty much did this for us instead of spending, like, millions of dollars. I don't know how much I want to talk about this now, but make note of that wasp scene because I said well, let's it. let's get into it. I don't have too many more notes okay. myself, so let's get into it a little bit. Especially so, since we already passed that part. There are some really cool things. There's a lot of foreshadowing, especially in that title sequence at the beginning, the intro sequence, that music video sequence. Mm-hmm. Is that during those flashes, you can make out blueprints. And you know that the collector's in those sequences, right? So that's kind of foreshadowing, or at least letting you know in those credits that he was casing the house. Now, he was actually the exterminator that right. Arkin, he's like, hey, there was Which wasps they spell over out there. at the very end. Right. And so I think that was kind of clever is you don't really pay attention to that at the beginning. And, but there's emphasis like the spider. The I don't think the wasp kind of played itself out unless you want to look at it. In no, that's the thing. Metaphor. I think you could have saved the money on the wasp and just had Arkin tell the exterminator about the spiders up in the little girl's room. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I could see that. That would probably make a lot more sense. And then throw in a different CGI spider shot. Some of those CG spider shots were fucking dope. I thought Especially they looked that better last than the one wasps. Really yeah, that fucking last good. one was super cool. That's why really I'm like, cool. drop those obvious CG wasps and give me an although obvious CG really cool looking spider right, shot. Right, right, exactly. So I could do that, but even upon first watch, I mean, I didn't even really realize those weren't real wasps, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's kind of neat, but... Anyway, like I said, what the use of foreshadow in that music video sequence, him having an exchange, Arkin is with the exterminator. And then, of course, at the end, we figure out, I was like, oh, shit, he was doing that the whole time. Which is neat, because it comes up later, too, in, in the collection. Like, without saying a whole lot, there's these other revelations that happen, which okay. are really cool. Anyway, I thought that was clever. It's like, they're already letting you know that this is the reason why the house was booby-trapped so quick. <laughs> it wasn't quick. I mean, it was already rigged. For probably months you know we don't really get that backstory but i thought that was really cool about this film it's not as simple as it looks either although the reason why it's not the ending is obvious i think it's really fucking funny and really fucking ballsy that <laughs> this movie has the alternate ending that it does oh dude did you watch it or i didn't watch it? it i just read the it's pretty cool because i think that's a lot of people's feelings at that point it's like well fuck he's already out what the hell and, of course, they throw you that bone with the little girl being up there. You're like, oh, god damn it. Right. But he just, what, he just flips off the house and walks so away, same sequence, right? Yeah, same sequence. The only difference is, is as he's looking up, you get that the double birds, and he's pieced. It's like 45 minutes over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shit. That would, put, that would end the movie at like an hour. At best, yeah. But no. I know. Wait, there's more. <laughs> Right, which I just think it's hilarious that they they're like that they no, even let's, did that. Let's do this. Oh, dude, like, I'm glad they did because I think that's a lot of people's feelings. You know, in any, especially like, if you're dealing with that shit, dude. Like, look, we all want to save. We all want to save a little girl, especially from that terrible of a situation. But very realistically, at that point, there's either going to be a house full of dead people or there's going to be a survivor. Yeah, here's another <laughs> thing that it doesn't bother me, but like logically thinking. Is um, there's some kind of like, I don't know, deputy cop, whatever. He shows up, gets whacked, you know, but his car is still there. And Arkin and her, you know, at the end make it out and he runs towards the road. Oh, yeah. Why didn't he go for the car? I was like, dude, that would have been first. I'm like, oh, shit, there's a car. Let's peace. <laughs> you never get hit by the. But I mean, of course, it doesn't set up the end sequence had mm-hmm. that been the case. I mean, there's all kinds of things you could have done to change it. But also, while we're on the subject of, of saving little girls. This movie might have touched on the only scenario in which it's okay to call someone a faggot. Dude. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. I know we talked about... By the about... way, I think this movie illustrates the example of like when it's okay. And it's when you're saving a little girl from a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah, because any other case, man, it's like, that's not cool at all. But it does help save that girl because she was pretty much fucked. She was dead right. Yeah. They're lucky it wasn't me in that situation, because as soon as I know that that works, as soon as he stops for that second, yeah. I'm describing all the ways he loves the cock. <laughs> <laughs> loves the cock. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was kind of neat, too. It's like, oh, I wasn't expecting him to be throwing those his little comments his way. <laughs> but yeah, I was just like, oh, that might be... No, that works. Like, I think in this instance, it's cool. Like... <laughs> I, I want to jump back to one death. Right at the beginning of Pride Month. I think this is the instance in which it's cool. Think, yeah. It's like, this is a good precursor, lead-in, right? All right, so there's one death I want to talk in particular because it's like, it goes beyond, I think, gratuitous is, I think it's the, the guy Wharton at the beginning of the film 
once he gets electrocuted, gets thrown in the room. They have that little ploy. <laughs> oh my, but then they use his head or his as face. As a fucking battering ram. I was like, oh, this is a fucking groat. I love it. It's so gory. Oh, that was awesome. Not the first bash. The second bash where you get the blood splat was kind of cheesy. And I'm like, oh, God. But then they started doing like the blood through the fucking... Yeah. And then he just kept going and <laughs> like, going. Oh, oh my God. God. What is going on this right This is now? awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So a lot of that shit, even back when I first saw that, was like, wow, I can't believe I'm watching this at like a $2 theater. And this yeah. is so gnarly right now. This is awesome. Oh, that was over the top, but in just it the silliest great, great way. <laughs> yeah. I liked that. And th- then that's when he busts in the room and should have gotten hooked. But Yeah, exactly. But like I said, it was clever because Arkin was capable. Like he was a badass in his own right. But then you place another badass in there that you know he's almost an unstoppable force mm-hmm. almost but you're right he uses whatever he has at his disposal to get in do his thing i mean yeah he still fucks with people but when it comes down to the nitty-gritty he's gonna take advantage of whatever he's around like him. i'm not gonna require that you die by one of my traps dude even when uh, that ambulance gets flipped over at the end and you have the paramedic in there he just whoop, Yep. Fucks him right up. <laughs> I ain't here for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was like, damn, that's fucking good. What did you think about the ending leaving itself open? I mean, we've already talked about the fact that it has a sequel. I mean, I guess I knew it had a sequel. So I was more going into it wondering if there's going to be any survivors. Gotcha. And who it was going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the thing, too, that I forgot about was, you know, when he's laying in the road after he got hit by the cop cars... He's still looking at the girl, and is like, oh, damn, that was good. <laughs> yeah, that was a good little fake out, because I bought it. I was like, cool. You saw that he got out of the house. Yep. So. <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I, <laughs> my last note, though, is actually, <laughs> let's say little last bit didn't happen. He didn't get captured. If anything, maybe the collector gets captured, so that Arkin doesn't have to worry about it for the rest of his life. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah. How big of a lawsuit does he have? Oh, for the cop hitting him? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, I'd milk the shit out of the state. No sh- Fucking, after you go through all of that... It's like, I was trying to save a little girl, then you fucking hit me. I'm in a fucking torture house. Yeah, what the hell, man? I get out, I'm trying to fucking wave you down with my busted-ass hands. Jesus Christ. However, why the fuck did he run out in the middle of the road, though, too? That yeah, I mean, some of that is on him, too. I mean, when I say some, probably like 90-something-odd percent, but <laughs> he's still got a case, I think. Oh, he's got a case. Yeah. Especially once people hear his story. Like, I just saved a little girl from a serial he's, killer. He's literally a hero. Yeah. Also, like, they probably address it in the collection. Maybe they don't, but... I feel like that fire wasn't enough to keep them from getting enough evidence to just track down the collector's ass. Yeah. I don't think he was that careful. I think by the end of that night, there's too much shit across that entire mansion. You know what I'm saying? And like, I know what you mean. He might have set the place to blow, and we got that little bit of an explosion. But they might not have had a fire truck on the scene, but you already have emergency services on the scene. Yeah. And it's already fucking raining in the middle of the night. Like... I well, think they're saving a bit of that house. See, that's the thing, too, that I, I do like about this film, is that even though there are moments you have to suspend your disbelief, there are moments, too, where it still wraps itself back on what it did earlier. Like, for instance, when Jill's getting strangled and she whips out her phone and dials 911, you still get the response. And then that cop dies, and then I guess they didn't hear back from him, so they sent out the fleet. You know, So all these things do have consequences, mm-hmm. you know? 
I was surprised that at the very end when they peace out and Arkin gets in the hospital and some of the cops take off with the little girl and the others are like, it was this exterminator? Cool, we have an address, let's go. I was kind of expecting them to do like the cops finding Saw's lair and them just blundering right into <laughs> That would uh, another booby dope. trap and have those two cops also get off to just to like end the movie just to that could have been a nice little touch there too they had a chance but you know that's why they need us i was basically expecting like the shotgun trap you know what i mean that would have been fucking dope all right so i was just thinking there are a few things else like so with the cleverness of this film i really enjoyed i think having josh stewart play arkin was a great touch from what understood too he's like one of the last people they got mm to be on board his look he always just kind of looked just kind of like hugh dancy to me and it kept <laughs> just like blurring a little bit in my head like oh wait nope nope he's not quite there but <laughs> yeah it's close it's funny you, you do mention that because that was another thing i was going to say is they had mentioned that some of the some of the inspiration was they were fans of the film manhunter and they oh. imagined what it would have been like had somebody broke into the house of the tooth fairy Okay. But instead, they were actually trapped inside with him, and it was booby-trapped. <laughs> so they said that's some of the things. And not that I can believe it to the extent, but maybe that kind of calls out to the fact that he has a van, and he's got this trap, and it's hard to locate him mm-hmm. you know, because he's using disguises, so to speak. So The cool thing, though, is that I know you haven't seen the collection. I've seen it a few times. So I'm I can't say, say anything. I, I do want to ask one thing, so... I have heard that the collection is better than the collector. What would you say? I would say that's debatable. Okay. My personal opinion is that the collector is the better one. Okay. But the thing I like about the collection is that it has a pretty good cast. The cast is really good. And some of the scenarios are really cool. But without spoiling anything, I think it's debatable. Okay. And you can make arguments for both. You know, I wouldn't argue with you per se, but... I could see your case for it. It's still entertaining. Like most sequels, it's it's not the greatest sequel I've ever seen, but it's also a pretty strong one. And we've already alluded to the fact that it opens up the door for another sequel, which has already been confirmed. So The Collected. Yeah, so I don't want to say anything. I feel like, too, this is one of those films, like if you're a fan of Saw, I know we do in The Purge, I feel like this is like a much better version of that. Mm-hmm. You know, It kind of fits along the, kind of those beats. Like, the sequels aren't that... I mean, they're not necessarily great, but they're still entertaining. After that last Purge, I'm super excited for them to do this last one. Yeah. Because I, mean, I thought the first a, Purge was a really fun movie. I had a really good time watching that. I was pleasantly surprised. I think we both were. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I guess I'm excited to keep going with this series at some point. Sweet, like, dude. Whether or not we cover them for this show, like, I'm going to watch them, so... Yeah, well, good. I mean, that kind of gives us maybe... A little bit of a motif to go see the third one when it comes out. You yeah, know, no shit. You never know, but... I might um, watch the collection tonight, so... Yeah, dude. Like I said, I took the time out I because... I need shit to watch. Oh, I guess Good Omens just came out. I have shit to watch. <laughs> I take that back. But uh, like I said, throughout the week, I was just like, all right, I already got the collector out of the way. It wasn't. A, it's not a very long film. It's no. like an hour 30 best, but... I was like, well, I got time to watch the collection, so I'll watch that. And I did. I was like, oh, shit. One by quick, too. I was already... Okay, cool. But it gave me a better idea, too, of like how they stack because i've heard the argument too like a lot of people like the collection i was like all right i can understand why it has its moments i lean a little bit more towards this one that's you know it's subjective i guess i'm just gonna have to see it yeah 
find out for yourselves. But I'm glad we finally got to check this one out. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's on various platforms, like streaming platforms. Yeah, I know. Um, I watched it on Shudder. I think Prime has it, if I'm not mistaken. The reason I switched from Shudder to that... I should have watched it on Prime for the fucking subtitles. That's exactly why I did that the first time through. The second time through is actually on the Blu-ray, so I was being lazy. But I listened to the director's commentary, because I've already seen this film several times. Mm -hmm. I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to talk about. I just wanted to pick up some of their bits. Yeah, I should have watched it with the subtitles. Anyway, I don't think I missed much not doing that. I just turned up the movie really loud, so... Yeah, I mean, some of the dialogue, it doesn't... You're not missing a whole lot, but, you know, I'm at the age (laughs) where I I don't mind subtitles. Well, shit, we do know what we're doing next week. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to go a bit old school and uh, knock out some Black Sabbath. Yeah, dude. So it's another venture into some Italian horror. What is this that stands before me? Yeah, dude. This is going to be fun. I'm looking Figure forward to it. in black pointing at me. Dude. And if I'm not mistaken, too, I believe this is a anthology, like three tells. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Have we done an anthology yet? I was thinking about this earlier. We actually have, but I don't know if it's formatted in the same way that Black Sabbath is going to be formatted. We did trick our treat. Oh, right. Right. And that's a bit of an anthology. anthology. Even though it takes place over the course of that town and, you know, Mm -hmm. they're weaving the story together. I think this one is more set up, you know, tell the crypt kind of style, kind of that kind of anthology telling. Cool, cool. Well, in order to hear us talk about that movie, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. We would really appreciate it. You can always go over to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There's more places to listen to us up at the top. You can always listen to the latest episodes streaming down at the bottom or throughout the middle. Hit our portals to our various online presences, such as the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter. And you got our full archive there to check out all of our episodes. Oh, you can contact us through the website or at squirmcast@gmail.com. Plus, we would love it if you would rate and review us over on uh, Apple Podcasts. That really helps the algorithm side of things. And just like that way, you can get the word out without having to do anything else. You just make computers do it from you from there, that point out. So Exactly. At least it gets us in the algorithm. But you're right. If you like to make suggestions, if you have recommendations for films... We had mentioned before, if you're a filmmaker who wants somebody to check out their film and need somebody to review it, let us know. We're always up for that as well. If you're Damien Leone and want to put us in Terrorizing yeah, too. Hell yeah. We're up for some Terrifier and some art, dude. I felt like I had one other thing to say, but I must not. It must not be that important. We love you guys. Exactly. So if you have Go stuck check around... Go out Jafar. The thing I think that is really neat, because if you've hung around this long, it's kind of like the movie that we just reviewed... There are some end credits. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, go check out our mug on the gram. We got some selfies put up just recently. That's right. <laughs> oh, my God. So funny. I'm going to try to keep doing more. I haven't posted a lot still on the gram, but I've made Those more posts in the past month than I have in a long <laughs> time. So I'm going to try to continue with that so that you guys can interact with us more and there's a place to do it. Absolutely. But I'm just really fucking bad at all this social media That's shit. okay. We do what we do. We do. We'll get there. You guys will love us one of these days. <laughs> nice. Somehow. For this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out! Out.